Hello, what's up? Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. Today we have a special two-part podcast, two different awesome guests. The first one is Melanie Lynn from Virus International, which is an apparel brand who is into the sport of OCR. You might have seen one VJ Jones rocking that apparel, Ed Steensgard repping that apparel. Really high, high-level stuff. And they just got a partnership with High Rock. So it was really fun getting to talk to her, talking about how athletes are aspiring. Uh, professional athletes in this space can really help uh, them help them stand out against the rest and what these kind of companies are looking for in athletes. And we just talk, and we start talking about the apparel part of it as well. Second part of the podcast is Callie Schweikart of Torque, who just came off of a amazing victory at the Utah Spartan Ultra, her first ultra. So we do a recap of that and talk about how she's going to prepare for the 24 hour race in Tahoe going forward. So before we get into the episode, shout outs to Patreon members on Torque. We got Brant Boggs, Brent George, Amy Remmer, Dustin Needham, Kevin Gregory, Micah Dorfner, Kenny West, Ashley Reese, Frank Walsh, AJ Veast, John Ross Wiley, Bennett Crothers, and one Mike Stefano from Obstacle Running Adventures. If you don't know that podcast, go check them out as well. Awesome content, especially if you're like in that Northeast, Mid-Atlantic area. Mike's all over the place bringing awesome content to you. We really appreciate your support. If you want to be a Patreon member, you will get some early access to interviews and uh, some different cool perks on that end. You can check the link in that show note to help support the athletes of Torque. All the money goes directly to the athletes getting to races, helping support them, showing that love. All right, that's enough. Let's get into the podcast. All right. So first guest today is Melanie Lin, who is the global business to business sales and partnership manager. And we were connected through uh, Tamara DeHill, who is actually VJ Jones and Ida Steensgard's manager. And uh, I was good to have you on. I can't remember if I if I knew of Virus before uh, I saw someone like VJ repping the brand. But uh, I know that you guys also just pulled together a partnership with High Rocks uh, USA, which I'm very involved with as a participant and a coach and things like that. So uh, I have I have had a chance to test out some of the product that I've been impressed so far. And I'm generally critical about apparel just because I have a little bit of that background. But so I, I really like the product and I'm excited to be able to chat with you. So thanks for joining. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I don't always get an opportunity to chat with people on your end of the business uh, in terms of the brand. So I'm curious in in terms of someone who's like an aspiring athlete or who's who wants to make athletics a little bit more serious part of their, uh, say just like their personal brand. When it comes, when you're looking at the partnership aspect, like what kind of things do you look at athletes that would make them appealing to a brand like Virus? Sure. And that is a great question and a loaded question, especially given the context of this time where influencership, right, ambassadorship has become in its own right, right, its own profession. And I think there's both pros and cons to that. But the one thing that anyone will always get from virus is true authenticity. We really care about feedback with our product. We care about passion for our product. But above all, when we look at individuals and people who approach us, we look at how passionate is this individual about their sport, but not mm. just their sport as an athlete, right? Their their lifestyle, their goals, their personal goals. And I think that is one thing, especially when you see all these brands, right, with um, who they call their influencers or ambassadors, the messaging can get, can get lost when it's just product focused or 
you know, sales focused and mm -hmm. sure we're a business as well. We have to make our sales. We have to make the bottom line, but ultimately we look for athletes who are genuinely passionate about the technology behind virus, but also more than that, how they can integrate apparel into their lifestyle, especially since a lot of the athletes we service are in these very niche technical sports. So they mm -hmm. need that specialized apparel and sure, you know, Lulu or, or Gymshark or Nike apparel can look good, but is it functional? Mm -hmm. And that's where virus really steps in. So for us, whether you have a million followers or a hundred followers, none of that matters to us. What matters to us is the effort you will take to engage with us. So that involves product testing and feedback, but more than that, how you can utilize our platform to benefit your personal goals as an athlete and then vice versa. How can virus tap into your network and help elevate your story? So many of our athletes are, you know, whether they're doctors, engineers, or they have a whole different career path or they're passionate about something else, not just their sport, but they're able to integrate it, integrate it together. That's really what we look for, um, which can be pretty different from traditional, you know, oh, some branches look for influencers based off of how many X followers they have. And that comes across as disingenuous to a brand like virus when that doesn't really matter to us. What matters to us is can you use our apparel? Do you even like it? And can we benefit you? That's really the main crux of it. And, you know, an answer typically like that would seem like, yeah, of course, that's probably what you, you should say, right? Is that like, hey, it's about the athletes. It's about the passion. But like looking at your roster, like it does seem that that is the way you guys do operate. Like just some of the names that I noticed were like a Wes Kitts or a Lucas Parker who were big athletes, but like maybe five to seven years ago. Um, but it seems like you're still involved with them and like there must be a good partnership there because I think a lot of times it does come down to return on investment for a lot of these brands. So how do you guys manage that? Like, cause in this influencer type of environment, right. Where it's, you know, that, that seems to be the way a lot of brands are starting to try Correct. to focus most of their marketing dollars. Is that like how, when that started to come on, did you guys take it serious? Like were you, or like, how do you, how do you exist in a world like that and still try to be authentic to the brand? Yeah, it all comes down to, again, we've also cut some some athletes who have that following, have that awareness, but they were either difficult to work with or they really didn't care or align with the values of our brand. And we have ended those relationships. But hmm. the likes of the people you mentioned, you know, we had formulated those relationships years ago, right? Where before they were even truly a, a big name synonymous in their sport, you know, especially people that we also have on our roster now who are upcoming. I take Jessica Khan, for example, in jujitsu. She's only mm. uh, 22 or 23, I believe. And we got BJ when he was only 19 or 20. And so mm. it's just, we want to grow with these athletes because we, we see the potential in them. And yes, there is always that aspect of ROI, which is also why I can very transparently say that virus has cut its, what we call our virus technicians, our technicians um, down significantly, not because of people who didn't have enough followers or what have you. It's because we found that even people with the following, if they weren't engaging or if they weren't truly wanting to share the brand in a light that was authentic to them or even their audience, it doesn't matter how many followers you have. It's not going to come through. But someone like Wes Kitts, right? He's always wearing virus, even when he's not talking about it because mm -hmm. he genuinely loves the product. So it's just, it is interesting. It's still very hard 
again, we don't have the wallet like a Nike or Adidas do, you know, we're still a small, medium sized company, but we have a big footprint. Why? Because the select people we do work with have given back to the company in so many ways, and we have grown with them. So same with um, we're in stand up paddle boarding and the um, surf industry as well. So Candace Appleby, Danny Ching, these are big names that come to mind. We've been having a relationship with them for over seven, eight years. We started with them since they had just gone fresh into the market as a name. So that is essentially what we try to do is we care about longevity versus short and, you know, profitable relationships that may, you know, just disappear tomorrow. Athletes who straight chase money. It's also one of those things where I've been approached rich by someone who's like, I'm worth 10 grand a month. I have a million followers and virus owes me 10 grand a month. And I'm like, straight up. No, I'm sorry. You know? And then they, and then after they ask for that rich, they're like, by the way, I've never tried virus. Right. (laughs) Can I get some free stuff? (laughs) And it's like, no, that's even validating my (laughs) answer further. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And and you can tell, like I can tell anyway, because maybe I'm a little bit more uh, sensitive to it when I see athletes who are like, okay, this week, here's a product. And then like the next a year later, it's like, actually, this is a product. And it's like this just conflicting, like, uh, companies that are in competition with each other and they're just jumping from one to the other just for Correct. their own their own game Correct. honestly right so that, and i yeah. think that that's where and i don't know what's if it's right or wrong right like how empowered the these athletes or potential athletes are because of the social media and sometimes it's like you know it's not even about the results for a lot of it it's not even about what kind of athletes they are it's just about like how they were able to present themselves and this is the kind of like i'm sure that that person who approached you and was like a million followers. I'm sure a lot of that was due to like learning how to do social media and building up this platform as opposed to being passionate about one, a brand or about a, a their sport or really dialed into what, what their profession is. So it has to, that has to be such a tricky thing <laughs> to kind of. It is, but ultimately the best way I can really kind of phase that stuff out is just meeting the athlete face to face. I love telling the story because it, it's great. So I went to Denmark, um, last year in December. And that was the first time I actually met Ida in person because she's from Denmark. And that was around a time where she was um, coming out of a partnership with a previous brand, um, 2XU. And she approached, um, you know, she got connected with me through Tamara. But the thing is, you know, Ida looks amazing, right on paper, social media, but what really sealed the deal for me, Rich, is when I sat down in a coffee shop with her in Denmark, in our 30 minute meeting, became a 90 minute meeting like she was late to meet her husband for dinner because we just had such a great conversation i learned so much about where what it took for her to get to the place that she is now in ocr as a woman and as somebody who wants to inspire young women to follow in her footsteps she has such an amazing personal philosophy and to be honest her passion for explaining all of that to me you know she's also a consultant on the side it's incredible. You know, she's able to do all of this and share this with me in a way where, you know what, aside from seeing everything else on paper, that's just the plus who she was as an individual is what really sold me. And after that meeting, I went straight to the CEO and I said, we need to have Ida on our team simply because we just had such a great conversation about the true parts of what she was passionate about in her life, not just OCR her as an individual. Mm-hmm. So. so it's like the, a more well-rounded uh, approach to, to, bringing people on. And I guess that's, and the way you were connected with Ida in that specific story was through some sort of connection, right? Like 
so how how would you recommend not even just for virus just in general like for an aspiring younger athlete who's coming up and starting to get some good results and a lot of it like i feel like there's pressure on the social media aspect to perform, yes how yes. should how could athletes get recognized how can they get noticed by correct by yeah and i will say you know for me at least i can only speak from my experience because i used to handle athlete partnerships with virus the biggest thing that always makes me stop on an email, right? Because we get so many email queries coming in, like, can I be an ambassador? Can I be sponsored by virus? But the emails that set themselves apart are the ones that further take that email and say, this is what I can do for virus. Mm. And that is the biggest differentiator is when people come straight up with that entitlement aspect, like I've won X amount of things, this is my accolades, and I am owed this much money. Can you like sponsor me? It's like, no, that's gonna that's gonna land very differently than hey, I want all of those things, but this is what I can also offer virus. And it's a two-way street, you know. And I think that is the, the the beauty about both the beauty and the con, right? Virus again, we've been in the market for 10 years. We are in all the major regions in the world. People think we have all the money in the world. We are this big, big company, which we are, but we have a small footprint in terms of our team. We wear many hats and that's the problem. People come and they think, oh, I can just ask them for a lot of money because they've got it and mm -hmm. I'm good and mm -hmm. I'm going to get it. But again, what it, it really money at the end of the day is not the main issue. It's the attitude. It's the mindset. Mm -hmm. So if they come in with a sense of entitlement and there's no two way partnership, not just that virus, but now, especially with influencership being this grand thing, I just feel like that is the best way, just like any job interview, right? You go right. into a company. They want to know why you want to work for this company. Obviously, you're there for money. You're there to make a living. But that is, I would just treat it as a job interview. Would you go into a job and say, hey, I want this wage, but I'm not going to tell you what I could do. For you. <laughs> but I'm it's not very good at it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's literally like common sense in a way. You know, like I've, I've also interviewed some people to work under my team and I'm in global sales and partnerships. So I've interviewed a lot of people, even for my own team. And the interviewer interviewees that I cut out right away, Rich, are like, I don't even know about virus, but I want this much salary and I don't even know about the product or I don't really, it just, it's obvious that they don't care about Just a us. job, right. It, they just want a job. And that's the same thing. Being a, a an athlete with us in a way is a commitment. It's not a full-time job, but it is commitment. So my biggest advice is treat it as a precious privilege and an opportunity to learn and grow with any brand you work with, it's a two way street. So that is, that is what I'll say. I've had, a, I have a lot of friends and other, uh, who work in other brands, um, and apparel, and it's the same thing. Like they get inundated with mm. in, 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 uh, emails about, I want to be a sponsored athlete. I want I want this, I want that, but it's rare to get an, a, an email. That's like, I can provide virus this this is why you should choose me and why we should work together. Please give me a shot and let's talk about it. You know? And I mean, that's, that's great advice. And, and really, I'm sure it will be really helpful because there's, I would imagine that a lot of athletes don't necessarily know how they can provide you anything outside of just like, Oh, I train really hard. I can lift, I can snatch 300 pounds, stuff like that. It's like, okay, cool. But like, what does that do for us? Like, cause it is, it is supposed to be a partnership. So one of these athletes should, you know, have that mindset and they should also have something to offer in, because I would imagine right. that a lot of them don't know what that could even be. And if you don't know, that's okay. At the very least, make it known to the brand that you're asking this opportunity for. Even just ask the question, 
please let's let's schedule a call. Let me know what I can do to offer this brand. I know that I'm capable of these things. I know I have influence here in this way, but what can I do? And again, that is something so simple. But if you don't even ask that question, the brand is not is just going off of your email. They're you know they're not going to know are you truly genuine or not. Yeah. So it, it's it's for me that my biggest thing is if I were an athlete and I wanted to approach a brand, I would figure out what makes me different from all these other athletes asking for the same thing. Am I able to say, hey, let's let's um, figure out a way to involve my gym, or let's figure out a way to do like, for example, a lot of our athletes have nonprofit causes that they're really passionate mm. about or social impact, you know, social impact causes. So how can virus do something in that respect? Right. And we mm. can work together to promote great cause together, but also work together in partnership, you know, things like that. I would just say, be, be yourself and be genuine about what you like, especially brands with a lot of money. I mean, it's it, that's that's also another big thing is virus for me at least i want to take virus to a place where we are able to make enough income to be able to do great things socially and and provide that social impact um, onto our community and onto the, the regions we're in right obviously not all companies are lucky enough to do that and i would say virus is not in a place where we are able to do as much as maybe other brands who are a lot bigger than us right but I think that is the first step is partnering with genuine people who care about these things, who mm -hmm. care about the brand, but believe in a vision bigger than themselves is what I would say. Yeah. That's something that I, I wouldn't have necessarily thought of firsthand is what are the things that I'm interested in outside of OCR, outside of hybrid racing, outside of CrossFit. And then how can that be helpful to expand the reach uh, for, for, for a brand like virus? Huh? That's really interesting. Um, in the, in, cause you guys are kind of in a bunch of niche type sports. I mean, you mentioned paddleboarding, jujitsu, I saw weightlifting, there's CrossFit, uh, now into like the high rocks and OCR. So how, how do you guys decide what kind of market to go into? Is it as simple as the individuals that you are really connecting with and what their interests are? You are able to be adaptable to, to them, or is it more, you're looking outside and seeing, and like seeing what kind of trends and what where, where things are kind of moving. Yeah, this is a great question. And um, I can speak from it, you know, I'll try to keep it succinct, but there's a it's a bigger, grander business strategy question as well. So obviously our technology at the core, and we can get into this later when we talk about the products, but virus products and technology as a whole helps anyone, even if you're not an athlete, right? You can still wear our our garments and get the benefits that our apparel gives because we have right fabric that cools you down fabric that increases your circulation anyone should be able to use that right and we should everyone needs to be healthy and everyone deserves that clothing but i think in terms of sports really it all comes down to where we see the biggest gap in the market so for us back when we started crossfit weightlifting powerlifting motocross stand-up paddleboarding, no big brand was able to service these athletes in the conditions that they were training in or competing in with garments that could even hold up in those environments. So that's where we started first. You can call those the low-hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. But myself, for example, I'm a yoga teacher, I'm a yoga practitioner, and I have been trying to get virus into the likes of functional fitness, Pilates, indoor cycling, yoga. But obviously, that's a lot harder when everyone in the yoga world is like rah rah Lululemon, right. right? Which, in its own right, in its own right, I'm not bashing Lululemon. They've done a great job. But again, you can't wear Lulu pants necessarily when you're snatching 
or cleaning and jerking 300 pounds because your leggings are just going to rip. Right. But if your leggings are able to withstand a 300 pound squat, right, a clean and jerk, or even, you know, an OCR race, like running through the mud, crawling under wires, you can do yoga in it. You can do cycling in it. Right. You can do boxing in it. So for us, it's a matter of, I feel like the world's our oyster, but obviously going into a new market takes money, right? Investing in new athletes is a, essentially a risk, but that is what I've tried to do at Virus is we started with VJ and now we've got Ida, two key individuals that we believe strongly we can build that community around. And so it becomes a more of a strategy where, hey, how can we find really great people who can actually give us feedback about how to service the sport and can we build the brand and build that with them together. And so that is what I've been trying to do with BJ and Ida is they tell me this is what other brands have done successfully for them in OCR and their training, but here's how other brands have failed. Can virus bridge that gap? And hmm. so right now, even though for me, I have to change my strategy, I can't just find yoga teachers put virus on them and expect us to blow up in yoga that's not going to work because of how prominent lululemon is in that market that's a different approach but at least for ocr i think i can tr it's been better of an approach to start with the athlete level and then build up the community from there whereas markets like yoga we're even trying to get into you know indoor cycling or boxing you know like the pelotons and the tonals of the world right we need to attack those markets through strategic partnerships so that's where mm -hmm. i get the b2b right or now us with high rocks we're going to be even more synonymous with right crossfit functional fitness right that is all tied together mm. that makes sense so it's like a whole business like all the different kinds of business layering together to kind of infiltrate a market got it okay so yeah, just seeing where the opportunities are and then, yeah, not having a blanket approach for everything. So, like the yoga example versus OCR is perfect, right? Like yoga is just so big and the, the market's also super saturated because of the size Correct. of that market where OCR, you know, people kind of, it seems like, it seems like companies kind of come and go. They come in and like, ah, oh, this might not be, or we can't give them, or we can't right. suit the needs of this sport. So let's try something different. So along those lines, like what are some things that you guys are doing for OCR in particular uh, to help meet the needs of the community from a garment So we've been trying to, correct. Yeah. So we've been trying to develop some products. Um, and again, everyone knows right now the global supply chain is also a mess, right? It's just everything has been hard. So development in general is taking a while. But I think the biggest thing is for us being able to test products with BJ and Ida, but also we've got a whole handful of other OCR athletes on our team as well. It's a matter of listening to their feedback and kind of pinpointing what are the most important pain points and going from there. So I know we're still, and we had been for a year now, trying to develop something that will uh, be similar to what Kraft did with their rash guards, which has that like abrasive, like abrasion fabric that helps when you're carrying stuff on your shoulders mm -hmm. or on the knees, on the knees when you're crawling, right? But the problem is when we developed the first round of something, at least inside virus, it the material was good, but it was so thick that then it started affecting the mobility when you run mm -hmm. and things like that. So we had VJ test all of that as well. And so it is challenging. And virus is willing to step up to the challenge. But again, everything costs money, right? And it's a matter of just timing for us. Even another example is we're big in powerlifting, right? A lot of people have asked us, hey, why can't virus create 
powerlifting socks, which are really high socks that go up to your knees instead of your calves. And then they're very compressive. It's because if we don't even believe in the pro- the quality in-house, how can we possibly bring it to market? We'd rather do it correctly and do it intentionally instead of mm. try to turn out a product. So it takes multiple rounds of testing. But pretty much right now, it's just a continuous process with BJ. And now we've got Ida, who has the female perspective as well. It's really helpful to be able to speak to them constantly and ask them, you know, what are things that we can figure out and how can we develop that? And again, if it takes time, it takes time. But that is the main, that is the main, main thing. And that's encouraging to hear that you are being patient with the product, just so it's not like uh, China, the spray and pray method, right? Just put something out there and hope it catches on. Like you're taking your time, Correct. you're making sure it's something that Correct. is useful uh, it, in the competition itself. Uh, how about from a, a training perspective, like on your website, your, your line is pretty expansive, right? So like what would be something that would separate virus from other training brands? Like, I'm not even sure what, what would be a good example, other running or, or functional fitness brands. Can't even think of, I'm, I'm having a hard time even thinking of one um, or two times you or something like that. That's a good one. We'll, we can use that. Like, yeah, what would be- I would say two. I, yeah. Yeah. I would say two times you is our closest competitor um, in the sense of they, they specialize in their compression too. And that's where we started. But again, the biggest differentiator for virus against any other brand on the planet is again, we have our own special made in-house fabrics. A lot of companies out there claim to have trademarked or created their own fabrics, right? But I can tell you, I've personally been to a lot of the factories in China where I literally will go into one factory, all the fabric is in one pile, and then you've got three chains, one line going to Nike, one line going to New London, (laughs) one line going to Fabletics. They literally all share the same same fabric. The, the, The pricing is different based on the marketing. Nike yeah. is not a clothing company. They're a marketing company Lula and they too. do a damn yeah. good job of it. For sure. Right? Lulu as well. And so that is the difference is obviously virus started. And the reason why we are such a loyal, but niche still brand is because we service people. They can tell good stuff from the bad stuff, right? It's just, that's why with virus, you really have to touch it and feel it or know it right. To be able to understand, ah, this is the virus difference and why sure the jogger could look the same as a jogger from Nike. Will it feel the same? Absolutely not. And so that is what I'll say is the biggest difference. We developed actually my father, who's a CEO and he is the, also the inventor of all these fabrics We're Taiwanese. Taiwan is known for being the most advanced nanotechnology and fabric technology hub in the world. So hmm. that is where he developed these fabrics in house with, uh, medical doctors, sports scientists, chiropractors, you name it, um, to be able to come out with garments that have that medical and that wellness aspect, but can be applied to athletes. So again, it's anyone could trademark anything these days, right? You could trademark Rich Ryan podcast, right? But the difference is when you trademark and you create something in house, customers aren't stupid, especially with how many options there are out there. Mm -hmm. You can just tell something's good versus something that's bad. And I, I'll back you up on that for sure, because that, that is something that I don't, most people don't know that all the production does happen. And, and footwear is pretty similar as well. Like it happens like the mold and the product and like, it's all in the same place, just kind of spit out in different directions, but your product does Correct. feel different from what I've, what I've, and I've, I usually know what I'm going to get from a product or how it feels, how it's going to manage my sweat, how it's going to feel during a workout. And, and 
the way that your fabric does feel, it's not something that I've felt before. I can, I can definitely say that for sure. We're mostly, I can, I I, yeah. So that, that is definitely true. Um, so what are some things that you're, you're excited about coming down the road, whether it comes in terms of tech or in terms of just like the market or just the sport, like what is something that you're, you're looking forward to? Yeah. This is a great question. It's my favorite question. Um, especially for me, my role is to look at trends happening in the, in the general industry of fitness, not just clothing and apparel and finding a way to align virus with those goals. So right now, this has been a dream of mine since I started this company or sorry, not started this company, started working at this company, but my dad obviously started it. So I've just kind of, it's always been in the background and it's something where I always wondered why haven't we done this before? So I just mentioned, right, that we developed our fact with doctors, right? People in the medical field. And I thought, you know, we have such a wellness component, especially because I come from holistic wellness world where as a yoga teacher, but I, I practice meditation. I practice, you know, holistic wellness. For example, I don't take over the counter anything. I try to really heal from breath work from mm -hmm. within and figure out natural ways of healing. But with our fabrics, we have the ability to go into the wellness world so much. And I haven't really truly seen a brand that has done that authentically with their clothing, maybe with the messaging. So you can think of Lululemon, right? And practicing yoga and meditation, that's all great. But mm -hmm. our garments actually have the ability to help people on a medical level. So mm -hmm. right now I am trying to forge partnerships and I currently have a couple of partnerships that are um, confidential. I've signed NDA, so I can't mention the names, but it's coming soon. I've got three or four partners right now who are literally in the health and wellness world. One of them is going to develop a biomedical glove that's going to help stroke victims with physical therapy in their hands. Hmm. And there isn't a glove, for example, that can do that. And with our fabric that helps our bioceramic fabric that helps increase circulation, imagine you put that fabric in this glove, right? And then that glove also has wires that will then transmit data to an app. And you can utilize that data to make health recommendations for mm. that individual that's just one we're also working with another partner who's chosen virus as the base garment to um integrate sensors into the garment itself and then the sensors will then project 3d avatars to literally give you lifetime cues and misalignment form correction hmm. in yoga boxing rowing so Again, these are all very, very exciting things, all in the intersection of technology, medicine, wellness, right? And just general right now, everybody is using whether it's a Strava or a Whoop or what have you, what are, or the Aura Ring. What are you doing with that data? Do you even know how to use it? Right. To, to even, instead of just getting that report on your phone and making yourself feel good, are you actually using that data to actually make new habits in your lifestyle? And that is where virus has a perfect integration with a lot of these goals because our fabrics at the core have that application to actually help people in their health and wellness. And again, you don't really see any other brand out there being able to truly do this. So I can tell you a lot of those partners that I've just mentioned, they had talked to Lulu, they had talked to Reebok, they had talked to um, Adidas before, even High Rocks, they had been working with Puma for a long time. Why did they choose virus? because we can offer things that just no other brand can. And that's just not me coming from a biased perspective. It's whenever I have these calls with them, they're like, why haven't we picked virus already? Or, or let's do it. Let, like, let's, let's create this partnership together. And so 
you know, um, that one of the partners I can mention that we're doing a big, cool pilot project with is called Paceline. So if you're, if you're not familiar with Paceline, it's an app where you can, for example, if you, um, burn this many calories in a week and you track it, you can unlock rewards hmm. with, with health and wellness brands and, um, clothing brands like virus. So it inspires you to work out, to be able to earn cash back or earn rewards on then spending on these health and wellness and fitness products that you would already be using. So we are really trying to, especially that's my personal goal right now is trying to align ourselves with companies who are heading that direction. That's one to me when Lululemon purchased mirror, for example, mm -hmm, and acquired mm -hmm. mirror, why would they do that? It's because they are also seeing the intersection between fitness apparel and technology. And that was one that that's where my mind went to when you mentioned the yeah. fabrics that can kind of give you yeah, like real time cueing. Correct. Yeah, Correct. Because that, that was the closest thing. And that's still not mm -hmm. great. Like the mirror, I would, I've used it, but I would imagine it's more just like a visual. But if it's actually like. Correct. And that's the best thing about being in person with a trainer. They can be like, well, actually pinch your shoulder exactly. blades back. Like that's what you need to do or a yoga instructor. For exactly. Example. That's really cool. I never even put those two together. Having like a wearable technology in the fabrics to give you movement cues. That's not every, mostly it's more along the lines of what aura ring or something can do. You could tell you like what your metrics are when you're just kind of like sitting or standing, but I like, that's really yeah. cool. That is exciting. Yeah. So that's what I'm currently working on in development right now. And even again, that form tracking um, the company. Um, so I can actually reveal that that company is called the sensei. They're based out of Silicon Valley and we are currently almost through the final rounds of production samples with them to be able to bring it to market. And again, that kind of technology can be used in any sport, not just right. weightlifting, powerlifting, right? Rugby, uh, running, endurance, right? Anything, because you just need data to be able to tell you, am I doing this correctly? And yes. it's these companies that are heading that direction. It makes sense. And that's why it even is more powerful than a Peloton. Peloton, yeah, you can look at a live instructor, but can they tell you, hey, you need to improve this about your form or hey, you know, you need to adjust the flexion of your elbow as you go into that pushup? No. Yeah. And that's right. that's the that's the technology that we're working on right now with the sensei. So again, virus is doing there's a lot of things we're cooking right now. That's why I'm incredibly busy, is because I've been trying to figure out how to formulate these partnerships because I believe that this is the future of the fitness apparel industry and technology is only growing and growing more. And what is the key differentiator of virus? Our fabric technology. Technology mm. is literally built into our blood as a company. So to me, this was the one thing that first thing I'm like, why haven't we been doing this? The market's already going that way. You need to Let's be integrate there. ourselves even mm -hmm. further. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. Like it's with the fabrics, it could be, and even if it's not real time, right? It's not like, oh, it, I'm sure it'll take some time to get like some sort of cueing or whatever, but it's like you go for a run or a spin or yoga and you can have like a movement efficiency score, like how you get a sleep score from Aura Ring. Be like, okay, like let's mm -hmm. see where it kind of fell mm -hmm. apart and then you can kind of focus on those things down the road. So super cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how how that all kind of plays out and when it comes to the market and how it's adopted because that'll be the other thing too. It's like, I mean, people are into wearables. So people are into that, yeah, that type of- Yeah, it's more and more. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, well, cool, Melanie. I really do appreciate you popping on. It's really exciting to, uh, that we're going to see a lot more virus in that hybrid space, the high rock stuff. We'll see that a lot coming into this 2022, 2023 season, at least in the U.S., correct? Will, will, will you be have like a footprint 
like when we go to the first event in New York, will you be on site? Um, so we will actually, our clothing will be, we likely will not because, um, probably host our own booth, but because it's in partnership it's with High Rocks, yeah. everything will be virus pretty much, but we are their official season five partner. And we're actually even, um, going to touch into High Rocks, Spain and Portugal as well. Cool. Um, the UK and Germany still are working with Puma, but as of now, um, virus is fully in with High Rocks in the United States and, um, Spain and Portugal as well. Hopefully we'll just keep growing possibly in high rocks and Scandinavia. But pretty much the, I can say a little on that high rocks loved us too, because their, their, their alignment with us was literally the same at every way values goals, um, wanting to see the long-term partnership succeed rather than the individual gains that either party gets. Mm -hmm. Um, Me and my partner have been deep in that negotiation process. And I'll tell you, it has been one of the more pleasant negotiations because it never felt like we either side had to compromise anything. It was always about that effort of how can we both help each other grow. High Rocks is also a new brand and a new company as well. They have a big global footprint, but again, they're very much like us, small team. Everyone wears a lot of hats. And so we also can relate on that level and they can level set our expectations of what we can do for them and vice versa. But that's why the alignment was so there. So Watch out for that. It's going to be very exciting. We've got a lot coming and we're developing a whole bunch of new products as well that we will exclusively drop through High Rocks. Sweet. But it is a very exciting, very exciting time. And this will only increase our presence um, within OCR athletes as well, just the general endurance functional fitness space as well. So very exciting. Awesome. Well, I, again, I appreciate you popping on. We're looking forward to seeing virus out there. So I'll make sure to link to all the show notes and every link to the, your, the website and socials and things like that in the show notes. And yeah, we'll be seeing a lot more virus. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyone who wants to contact me at all at any point can, um, we're always open to just meeting new people and figuring out new opportunities. So yeah, feel free. Great. Melanie. Well, I will talk to you soon. We're going to go back to that first screen then. Okay. All right, so our guest here is coming off of a dominating performance in her very first ultra race in Utah, finishing as the first female and the second overall athlete, Callie Schweikart. What's up? Hello, Rich. How are you? Good, good. So uh, I remember when we first kind of talking about where you kind of wanted your season to go, and even just maybe in, in the past, you had mentioned that you thought the ultra distance was going to kind of be your thing, which I always thought was a hard thing to kind of wrap like for, to wrap my head around like how you're gonna how to know that you're right. gonna do well in the <laughs> distance is just like hard to explore mm-hmm. so you were right it seems like <laughs> i guess so i mean i i definitely i just had a feeling it, i i had no idea if i was gonna be right or not but it had always intrigued me and um i the way i would explain it to people is um all my life I've gravitated towards the um, endurance aspects of like fitness and general conditioning when it came to the ball sports I played like basketball and soccer, we had to do sprints for conditioning and we had to do like endurance tests, like, you know, mile and upwards. And uh, I always remember being the one who like hated hearing we had to do sprints and then being excited to do something like a mile or a 5k. So in that sense, I've just always gravitated towards the more moderate effort for longer, not that a 5k is like a moderate effort, but um, just I think I don't have or I'm working on getting more of that 
top end speed that you can maintain for longer that you need for like a super distance race or something like that. But I think my endurance is in a place where it just caters to that idea of just having to keep moving at, you know, that moderate, uh, moderate intensity. It just requires a lot of like gritting through it. And Mm -hmm. I think it also helps when you just really love what you're doing. So like, I think it's just fun to be out there in the mountains. It's a, it's an adventure. So, um, sometimes it's like the longer, the better. And if you're having fun and can your body can handle it, then I feel like that kind of preps you for a lot of what an ultra entails. If that makes sense. Yeah. Cause even, yeah, like you said, like a 5k or a mile, yeah, it's longer than, you know, suicide sprints or whatever mm-hmm. you'd be doing in soccer. Um, but it's still not like a six hour thing for me. It's almost like an unknown, right? It's like, Mm-hmm. maybe it'll go well. Like I've generally like in my own hurt when I think about it for myself, it's like, I, like I've always been good at endurance stuff similar to you, right? Like yeah, when it's uh, in like football, we used to, they used to do gassers, which were across the field. Did they do that in soccer too? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would think that was terrible, right? It was just like, they were down. awful. Yep. Awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but then in football, they would do things what we'd call be running the lines. So you just go like 10 meters at a time, just kind of go yes. down and kind of run. And that was always just so much easier. And then mm-hmm. it kind of parlayed itself into being a distance runner in high school. It's like, okay, I, I, this didn't make sense. But then when it's like so long like that, <laughs> yeah, it's hard, to, it's hard to really be like, I just don't know. <laughs> well, I actually, I actually just posted this today. Like I, um, cause it was fun fact Friday, obviously. So <laughs> we are um, like, we, we prep all we can physically and mentally for these things, but something like an ultra, it's really unlike anything that I had personally ever done before. And I kind of went into the, kind of went into it with the mentality of, um, yes, I did everything I can, but just know that potentially that could do diddly squat. And like, like (laughs) literally like I could just have a terrible day and things could shift on a dime and it might not be the day I wanted. I kind of just went in knowing that I feel like I did as much as I could. And I've been told that ultras can go south really quickly so just expect that and then if it doesn't happen amazing and fortunately it didn't right. um so that's kind of the mentality i went into it with so there was some impressive kind of uh stats when you look at your splits in general and i would have i don't i don't know maybe you could tell me do you think that you're because in this beast like uh, ultra beast which we don't call mm-hmm. it just ultra is basically two loops and one with an extra loop, right? Like the first Correct. loop usually has an extra like yes. ultra loop, which gives yep. you like the full 50K or whatever. Yep. But your second beast distance after the first loop and the ultra beast loop would have gotten you like 12th or something overall in the female race. <laughs> yeah. So I was looking at that and I honestly don't know how this happened, but uh, the first loop was 17 miles with the, with the little ultra distance added on. That took me roughly, I remember coming out of transition almost exactly at the four hour mark. Um, and then, so that means the second loop took me 3.06 and that was just the beast distance. It was exactly the same race that um, the series race was. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like, I don't know, I, it didn't feel like I was going crazy hard. It's almost like my body needs like a three hour warm up or something. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I felt like I wasn't pushing at that point, I knew that I just needed to keep that pace in order to like keep the win. So it's not like I was going all out and I like stopped to um, tie my shoes at certain points. I was kind of taking my time with things and to see that um, 
it was like a 306 that would be like 12th place elite. I was like, what the heck? Like that would be something that if I went in just for the beast race, I'd be thrilled with. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm kind of confused. Um, I'm obviously really happy. Um, but it almost made me think that I need some like major mental work because like, I think I psych myself out so much for the big, big races with the, with the crazy competition and all these phenomenal athletes that I know and love and like, know they're really like being around all that in the race. I think I almost like probably go out hard and then you panic when you're so tight with people. And I think that really detracts from my race. Whereas in this ultra, I was just relaxed and having a lot of fun and, mm. um, not like necessarily taking my time with it, but I wasn't like frantic. Um, so I don't know if that played a role. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, my coach Ian pointed that out to me cause he had been, he like ran all over the course with me as much as he could in Utah it was amazing. And, um, yeah, he pointed that out after I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. I, I was really happy about it. Yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting kind of takeaway. Is like, well, one, it's very impressive, right? It's like, thank you. But but the, for you to kind of spin it and be like, well, what the heck's the matter with me in a regular beast? Right. What? Because what would be your highest finish at a national series race? So I did finish. Um, I think thirteenth at Big Bear, like twenty eighteen. So this would have um, been your this best finish. <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy. Um, yeah, and I, like last year. I, I just, just bombed like all the national series races. So Utah last year was okay. I didn't do what I wanted. I got like 17th, but like, I just, I failed things that I didn't want to fail and I didn't do as well as I thought. And then Asheville and West Virginia were probably <laughs> two of the worst races of my entire career. And I really hope nothing ever tops that because <laughs> I just like completely died. And, um, the heat was a major factor that like killed me. So it was just weird seeing that, um, yeah, that this worked out like that. Have you thought about your mindset of how you're feeling before a West Virginia versus before this race in Utah, this ultra race? Yeah, um, I think part of it is, again, not psyching myself out about the competition because you know going into a series race, you're going to be facing like the best of the best. And in this ultra, I didn't know who would be showing up for the most part. I knew of a few names that like I would need to watch out for, but it really was um, – the ultimate goal was to qualify for Tahoe 24 hours. So it's not like, um, it's not like I was going to place necessarily, even though I wanted to, um, there were bigger goals at hand. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, it, I think I was just more relaxed about it and more just excited to try something new versus setting the expectation that like, I want to place well at a series race kind of thing. Right. And this is something mm. I've been doing a lot of work on. I talk about this a lot too. It's just like the, yeah. Um, like changing the mindset around like a result. Like when I start worrying about like where I'm going to place or how it's just like gets me so worked up and in the moment it just seems normal. It's like, Oh, it's just like what racing feels like, mm -hmm. but it's not always going to lead to positive progress. If it's like, I need to get third, I need to get seventh. I need to like do like in the place becomes the thing that I'm thinking about the most, as opposed to what you did in this ultra where you're just like, here's my pace just go through it, just plug away. All I need to do is really just finish. Cause that's all you really had to do to get to the 24 hour race, right? You don't have to place at all to qualify. Yeah, I don't think, so someone brought up the fact that um, there might be a difference between elite qualification standards and like regular. And I didn't even really think about that. I just thought that if you finish, you can 
go for any category. So I'd have to look back on that. I mean, um, I did qualify for the elite. I actually just like registered yesterday, which is kind of nice. scary, but, um, so I did end up qualifying where I wanted to. So, um, but yeah, that was like kind of, that was the bare minimum goal. And that, that made it so that the, the barrier to a success was very low. And then I was just more relaxed and at ease. And either way, yeah, you weren't really thinking about it because you didn't know. You didn't, you didn't mm -hmm. like, oh, I got to get on the podium because I need to qualify. It's just like, eh, I'm going to probably qualify because it's you just, like, I think it is. You just have to finish. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Which is fair. I think that that should be. Yeah. I mean, you, you just want to show that you can like kind of handle. Go for at least something long. super long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For sure. So that that is. It's interesting. It's something that, you know, in my practice and trying to get to that place where it's not always results driven, it's, mm -hmm. it's been a push and a pull. Like sometimes I'm very dialed in with just like the process and feeling okay with whatever I need to do and whatever the outcome is, this is what I get. And then, but it, it hasn't been permanent. There's been times where I'm like, again, just like, Oh, I need to get this time. I need to get this place. And it, and it almost always works worse when I'm worried mm -hmm. about the place. You know? Totally. And I think I've, I've mentioned this to a lot of people. Um, I hear so many people say like, Oh, it was such a tight race. Like I had this person to latch onto, or this person was pushing me. And honestly hearing that I'm always like, Oh, I just like to run alone. Like I want to be in my own space. <laughs> so, and that's kind of what I was doing for the entire ultra. Um, and that's where I feel comfortable and at ease. And I know being around other people makes me panicky and I, I'm trying to figure out how to work through that. But I think that was a major contributor to, why maybe the the ultra went so well and like pace wise was something i'd be happy to do in a regular beast it's, it's just weird how like mentality and mindset affects like rpe and performance in general it was a really eye-opening um exercise on that front i guess right like the stress is stress right the, yeah we're so used to just going and, and wanting to handle the physical stress but the mental stress that we're putting on ourselves is still taking energy from us, even though it doesn't it might not necessarily feel any different. Um, mm -hmm. Like how, like a physical stress, you feel it, right? Like okay, like there's markers that will that you can see or feel that will tell you that you're stressed. But when it's just the mental stuff of constantly thinking about getting on the podium or or running a PR, like that takes that takes stuff out of you. Mm -hmm. For sure, totally, totally. So what was like the so then what was the plan going in? So um, the first, the first uh, thing I wanted to focus on was not going out too hard because um, that's kind of like a death sentence in an ultra. So um, wanted to take it, you know, moderate slash relaxed, um, and that didn't quite happen because Nicole McManus, like, uh, she's done a lot of ultras. I didn't really know what her strategy usually is because I've never raced against her in an ultra, but she kind of took it out where. Um, it was a little faster than I'd like. And I was like, I don't know how long are we going to keep this up? She would like jog in front of me and then, then be leading. And I'm like, I don't know if she's pushing her pace just to like try and get in front. So that the beginning part of the race was probably the worst feeling part. Um, so <laughs> at, at the start I was like, Oh boy, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen here. And then the first descent came and it, it, it got more relaxed. I, I was able to open up, but um, speaking to that point, my personal plan was, to attack my strengths, which are the descents and the carries, and then mm. manage on the uphills, which I've gotten a lot better at, but um, I know I can blow myself out on those. Um, 
And then that would lead me to not be able to take advantage of the fact that I can usually run downhill pretty well um, and out carry a lot of people just because I'm, I'm more of a strength athlete in that regard. So um, yeah, the plan was to keep the climbs in control, not, not take them easy, but not like die and then um, really push the pace on the downhills to make up ground there. Um, and I feel like for the most part, that's exactly what I did. Um, and obviously I was hoping to race as clean as possible. Um, I had a clean first lap and then slipped off Olympus on the second lap. Um, I noticed this in my prep for this when I did the multi-laps at Colorado Springs. The later in the day it gets, the more things are lathered in sunscreen. Like literally mm, everything is that's interesting. It's I had never thought about it. So Olympus was like so much more slippery. I did get through most of it and then I dropped and I probably should have dropped from the beginning because the penalty loop was like a 20 second flat loop. It was, oh, was it? Yeah. It like made me angry, but at the same time I was very relieved. So right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. And then, um, I did fail stairway on the second lap. I got my leg up for the, for the footholds uh, or what, what is the handhold? And then it was like total body, like muscle contraction fatigue. And <laughs> I moved my foot and it like slipped and I couldn't, contract enough to get it back up and i fell like three times and everyone was like ah oh, like watching for i'm like okay i'm done i'm just doing burpees. <laughs> uh yeah so um those that was the burpees two, the that was burpees yep um and actually ian was there watching that and he counted for me and made me do 33 so i was really happy for that <laughs> oh my god they were the slowest burpees ever um but yeah other than that it was clean and um like actually hitting the spear is what allowed me to take back second overall. Um, cause Max Ryman, who I ran most of the second lap with, which was amazing. Um, cool. he, he was dealing with some ankle stuff leading into this race and I caught him, um, about halfway through the second lap. And he took me through basically the entire big climb, um, that I was dreading doing again. So that was like a huge mental boost. And then we knew because of his ankle that he probably wasn't gonna be able to take the downhills. So once we started separating there, he was like, you go Kelly. And apparently he passed me back on stairway. Then he missed his spear. So I was able to take it back then. Mm. So, um, yeah, so those, those were the main things like run, like obviously work on obstacle proficiency, um, which I feel like is coming along and then, um, work the descents and carries and manage on the uphills and fuel a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I'm sure that, that that's, what you hear a lot is like an eating contest. It really is. Honestly. Um, I went in with the goal to hit 400 calories an hour, um, okay. which is higher than I've ever done for any shorter distance race. And, uh, I had never tried that for anything higher intensity than easy effort. So I was really curious as to whether or not that was going to work. Cause it's not like I went and did like an ultra race <laughs> before this. Um, so I would, I'm lucky in that, um, I typically have a good stomach and I had no issues hitting 400 calories an hour drinking fluids. I probably had six to 7,000 milligrams of sodium too. I'm a very salty sweater and a very heavy sweater. Mm. Um, and for I think hour? all the, uh, no, 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 that would be for the whole race. Oh, so probably about a thousand milligrams. Oh God. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> probably be dead. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so th those were key. Um, just, making sure I had enough calories for at least 400 an hour. And I packed enough to be like multiple hours over what I would hope to have hit time-wise. Um, so yeah. And that was, uh, I think that was huge. Cause I, I really felt sustained throughout. I wasn't really hungry after. So, um, I would recommend 
fueling a lot. The execution of the fueling isn't mm -hmm. always as straightforward, right? Just like either mm -hmm. for, forgetting or just not having, like you said, that distance and time to really practice that. Right. And my understanding of what, what can happen, especially put, with bringing in, uh, you know, glucose, um, essentially sugar and like salt at the same time, is that like the there's a balance in your gut where if they're like, there needs to be enough just water in there to keep that balance. And if not, it'll start kind of like sloshing around. Mm -hmm. And so people can really start taking it too much. That's kind of where they can get that kind of gut, like bad feeling and where they might have to end up throwing up. Um, yeah. So what you, what was your plan? What did you take? And this is different for everybody, right? Like, I, like this totally. is one thing when it's like, Oh, what should I eat? It's like, I have no idea. Yeah. It's hard. You really do have to figure out what works for you. Cause some of the things I'm about to say, people are like, Oh no, that would make me completely. Exactly. Sick. And they're, or they're um, like, Oh, maybe I should try that. And then when it's, it's so personal. Yep, exactly. So for me, um, I've relied on spring energy for most of my fueling oh, for, right. um, for years now. Um, I love their products. Um, so that was the bulk of my nutrition. I had, um, a bunch of different flavors of gels and then I had their wolf pack it's called which is like an oatmeal fruit pack it's got 350 calories and um it's like an apple sauce squeezer bag mm -hmm. thing it's actual um, oats is there it, is... there's oats mixed in for some like complex carbohydrates but then okay. it's like pineapple mango um and then I think it's got a little coconut oil so it's a good mix of like carbs simple simple and a little more complex and then a little bit of fat mostly yeah um and it's it's not uh, it's for for the calories it's not super voluminous so it it almost feels like you're taking two gels but you're getting 350 calories so that's not like a lot of volume um, and it tastes really good so I was like looking forward to having it um, so spring made up the bulk but I knew that I would want to um, vary my fuel sources a little bit because you get sick of flavors over time no matter how good they taste um, so mm. I brought. And I'm so not picky. I like literally people could throw me anything and I'd probably eat it. But um, I brought a mix of like Bobo's bars. Um, I brought Cliff bars. I didn't end up having one, but I love like the peanut butter banana Cliff bar. That's always a good bet for me. Um, I had some Cliff shot blocks that had a little caffeine in them. I had uh, a thousand calories worth of Guroctane, which is my favorite liquid fuel. Um, and uh, that was in. Uh, I put a packet of it or a serving of it in each of my flasks and had two flasks to start in transition. I switched it out for my other two flasks and mixed with that was, uh, LMNT, that really salty electrolyte mix that mm -hmm. has like a thousand milligrams of sodium in it. Um, and I thought that mix was perfect for me. Um, and I did pack some fun stuff for transition just in case I wanted something different. And I ended up having, um, I think like four Oreos in transition or nice. something. Um, they're so good. And they, they, I mean, they always are going to taste good and they have like a little bit of crunch, but they're not too dry. So, um, that's what I went with. Oh, and some honey stinger waffles, I think. So it was really like, Quite I just variety. packed, yeah, I packed anything I had that I knew I would probably enjoy and then just kind of went off a of feel on that and then one thing that um uh it was actually ryan atkins who pointed this out to me um he suggested front loading calories a little bit just in case the stomach got a little weird with the heat um and the mm -hmm. duration of the race so if i was aiming for 400 make sure i'm taking in that or more in the first few hours when i'm ready to eat and feeling like i can eat um so the, I think like hours two and three, I was probably closer to like five or 600 mm. in the hour. Um, and 
it's kind of like a bonus because if your stomach doesn't turn and you can continue to eat 400, then you've just got more calories in you. Um, but if you can't eat as much, then you have a little bit banked in your system. Um, but I was lucky to kind of like overall, I think it averaged out to roughly 400 an hour. Um, just because yeah, my stomach cooperated. Yeah. And when I think about the nutrition part, I'm, I'm probably similar to you. Like I, I, I'll eat whatever. And it's not, did you think there would be a possibility of there being some GI distress? So I, I really wasn't sure because, um, knock on wood, I've never like thrown up in training Mm -hmm. for a race. And, um, I think anytime I've had like other stomach issues, issues, it's because of, um, something I ate the day prior that was like super heavy, which I didn't do before this race. I wanted to kind of keep it, uh, you know, pretty simple, pretty, um, safe. Um, but it was kind of new territory with, um, the, the combination of the heat and the race effort. Cause I had done one long training run before this, but it was like the one cold day we had in Colorado this summer. So it was like not helpful for heat training. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all in an easy effort. So you never know how intensity is going to affect that. Um, and that's another reason why I kind of tried to be a little overzealous with calories at the start, just in case something happened where I wasn't going to be able to take in stuff later. Um, I think liquid calories are a huge help as well because uh, I'm someone personally who gets very thirsty very easily. I'm I'm never not going to drink. I I don't even know. I think I was aiming for like 30 ounces of water or liquids per hour at least because I just, otherwise it goes downhill pretty fast for me. So um, getting in calories from liquids, it's kind of like, well, you're going to be drinking anyway. So why not? If you can find something that's not going to upset your stomach and I right. knew goo rock taints it's well, um, that's an easy way to get it without having to eat if you're nauseous or something. Um, it could have been different um, if the effort had been harder, if I um, had been pushing with someone a little more, I'm not sure how that would have worked out because obviously as you work harder, you're less inclined to eat anything. Um, I remember in Killington last year, that was the first time I ever struggled to fuel. I ran mm-hmm. out of all my gels and stuff and had one cliff bar and it was towards the end of the race and we were going up like a 40% grade and I couldn't stomach it. I was nauseous and my mouth was dry and I was like, screw this, I'm not eating. Um, but I was lucky to um, to be able to kind of get through it and um, not have any issues, but was waiting for them to come. I was kind of like, okay, well, we'll see how this goes. Yeah, it's probably a good barometer for where your intensity is as well. Is like, if you're mm-hmm. still able to take food in, you're like, okay, I'm probably in an okay spot. Whereas in Killington, the intensity was so high and I was like, I'm an actual bar to eat. Yeah. It, w- it was a, uh, it was a last resort. And I was like, Nope. Not, not happening. Not happening. <laughs> so how long was the, what was your total time? It was seven Oh six something, okay. I believe. Yeah. So that's, that's some time. How, uh, how did you do like <laughs> staying mentally locked in or was there, yeah. uh, was there, were you trying to just be like locked into it or were you like, you mentioned the enjoyment factor, beautiful yeah. course. Mm-hmm. Um, was it more about like, Hey, just like enjoy where I am. Or was it very, or is it more like, let me stay locked in to what I need to do on these tasks? Yeah. Um, it's funny because I feel like a lot of people that's a, that's a huge question they ask is like, how did you mentally stay in it? And, I had honestly been looking forward to trying an ultra distance for so long that I was just so excited to be out there. Um, and I think that helped like so much. Um, that was probably the single biggest factor in terms of my mentality throughout. Um, but 
it there were obviously there are parts the races ebb and flow so there are there are low points there are high points and um one thing i like to do is go in with some sort of mantra or like something that i can repeat to myself and this one it just so happened to be um a, a new song that came out from imagine dragons and they had like these, these really good lyrics um and it was like about searching for the higher ground you know like pushing yourself to be better in life, but it was also literal in that we're literally climbing up a mountain. <laughs> yeah. um, so I did find myself kind of repeating those lyrics um, throughout the race for a while. That was um, at the halfway point of like the first loop. That was a big stretch of that just because I was in my own, I was running alone. I didn't see anyone and I wanted to keep in it. And then um, transition helped a lot mentally because people are hanging around transition watching. So you get to see friends mm -hmm. and, um, I got an update from Chris Mendoza's mom that he was still in the race and doing really well. She was cheering me on. There were a lot of people there like, you're doing great. So um, having those people, having Ian out there on course, that was really helpful for me to stay engaged and motivated. And then linking up with Max for like most of the second lap was huge. I didn't even have to think about um, how much longer I had because we were just going through it together. Um, mm. And that he wasn't going to stop. I wasn't planning on stopping. And it was more just like, okay, well, we're frolicking through the woods for a little bit. <laughs> like we got to get this done. Like um, we're getting closer. So um, after a while we did resort to that, like, okay, we're at like 25. We've got like five more miles to go. Like we were, we were kind of counting it down, but um, it was really cool to um, have someone out there to kind of draw from. Um, and then by the time we split up again, we were on the downhill and the downhills are my favorite part. And we were coming back down into the finish and, um, I was really lucky to not really have a mentally low point during that race. Mm. Um, but usually when those do come, um, I try to remind myself about how it'll feel to be done, like accomplishment wise. Um, not that you want to rush it and not think about being in the moment, but sometimes you have to remind yourself how good it will feel to finish when you're not feeling great. Um, and yeah, I think in terms of like when I was mentally lowest or struggling, it was repeating those song lyrics over and over because mm. when you do that you're, you can't really process other words in your head so you're kind of just like okay repeat 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 and then all of a sudden you're up the climb and you can keep going and find something else to kind of distract you a bit so you were consciously going back through those lyrics i literally <laughs> i literally at one point was just like humming them out loud because <laughs> oh, nice. um, i really was alone for a lot of it and um it's it's i love the song it's catchy and the lyrics are pertinent um so I was just like, okay, well, if I just repeat this, I'm not gonna be able to think about anything else. And um, I it's a fun thing to listen to. So, yeah. That's interesting. When Erin uh, Rust, when uh, she was telling me one time, because she did like some World's Toughest, that's like her, her mm -hmm. thing, she's on the podium there, I think three times now. Yeah, she's she'll, she'll watch like motivational videos as she's training and she'll actually remember like the speeches from oh my God. the videos. And that's what she does. So something similar, right? It's just like, like words that are um, helping her stay in the moment and also like pertinent to like what she's doing. So totally. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting, just like a different, uh, just a different style of, of what yeah. she's doing essentially. Yeah. It could be a quote from like a movie, a, a show, whatever. It just has to resonate with you. And um, I am, I'm actually wearing an Imagine Dragon shirt right now. I'm a big fan. <laughs> big fan. Big yeah. fan. <laughs> um, but it's the song I would recommend it. It's called Higher Ground. It's like the best pump, pump up song, but it kind of just came out at this perfect time. And I was like, I'm going to use this leading into this race because I'm going nice. to need something. And uh, this works. 
toss it on repeat. Yes. So what were some things that you learned from this race that you, that were unforeseen? Um, I was reflecting on this today actually. And, um, one was probably change your socks, even though you don't think you should. Oh, you think <laughs> so, so, um, I, I had, uh, I like my feet were comfortable the whole time. I have, I usually use like features, compression socks. I like them for racing, but, um, the moisture from the dunk wall definitely, I think contributed to the blisters I got in the second lap of the race, even though, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't having issues at that time, but if I could go back, I would take the extra socks that I packed in transition and put them on probably keep my shoes the same. I did pack an extra pair, but, um, I think there was just some moisture in there that contributed to some (laughs) gnarly blisters. Um, and then, uh, caffeine was something I did not put thought into at all. And Mm. I was lucky enough to be staying with people who like donated like a hundred milligrams each. So I had some, um, but I, I think that'll be something I want to keep in my plan moving forward. I took like, I have coffee in the morning and then, um, I took 200 milligrams total throughout the race, which is not a lot, but it was something. Um, and based on how I felt the second lap, I'm not going to say it didn't work. So, um, I just, I had kind of not for some reason I had let that go. I didn't, I didn't plan for that. And then people were talking about caffeine and I was like, shoot, I have no caffeine. (laughs) Um, so that would be something I'd focus on a little more and like put into my plan. For sure. And that's one thing for like the 24 hour races that you can do is like wean off of caffeine for the weeks leading into it. So it's a little bit more, uh, a little more potent and it gets a little more effective during the race. Totally. Totally. Sucks to come off of it. Mm. But start that early. (laughs) Um, I think I also, I learned, it's funny. People say that like ultras ebb and flow, you can have those dark points and still come back from it. Um, one thing that was weird is uh they kind of like they were brutal with the wall placements in this race so i am probably one of the tallest girls out there and i was struggling with their tall walls because they put them on uphills they were Mm. tough um and when i was going over one of them i tend to like rely less on my pull-up strength and more on my flexibility so i'll like grab the top and literally just like whip my leg up to like over my head and just Mm. hook myself over um and at one point, I think I jammed my like quad, gave myself like a dead leg on a wall. And it was sore for the be- the latter half of the first lap and going into the second. And then by the end of the second lap, it had like um, pretty much gone away. So it's kind of like you'd think something like that would stick around and only get worse. But it really is interesting to see that things do ebb and flow during the race. And just because you're in a low spot now doesn't mean it's mm-hmm. going to be worse later. Mm-hmm. Um so that I just found kind of interesting. Um, and then, uh, I think I learned about, I, I don't know. I was thinking about how I enjoyed running with Max so much and we were chatting and like pushing each other and in a normal race or a normal distance race. Um, I hate talking. <laughs> I'm like, do not talk to me. I'm sorry. Like, but I just can't. And it's because you're in so much more pain. Like the, the ultras are a different kind of pain. Um, so I just learned about the value of having someone to push there with you. And like um, basically, you know, having your coach screaming for you on the sidelines. It's just, there's so many, um, there's so much of a boost to be had from people around you supporting you. And I had never felt that as much as I did this race. So that's kind of like cliche, but um, it was definitely like uh, just a really, really cool thing to feel so supported and encouraged and um 
uplifted at, at times when you know you're tired and you want to be done <laughs> mm -hmm. um it was like a really it was really easy to keep going when you had that around you constantly the, the first point is probably going to be pretty helpful for the even longer races because you're right mm -hmm. in like a shorter distance like if it's a super or a beast if things are, are not feeling great it's probably not going to get better mm -hmm. maybe mm -hmm. maybe just it's the intensity or just like the distance it's like the time itself like you just there's not enough to kind of pull it around but how does how does this effort effort now kind of shape your thoughts around a 24-hour effort or how has it changed it's funny because i was after the race i was like okay so that was seven hours that's not even a third of 24 hours <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah i guess yeah i was like that's a little scary uh but at the same time uh i didn't finish feeling like there's no way i could do more so i was happy about that like if um i know i've finished races sometimes where i'm like if you put a gun to my head and said, go back up that mountain, I'd probably die. <laughs> so, um, but this one, it was not like that. I, I think if someone told me to go out there and do more, I probably could have. And I, I don't necessarily know why that is, but that was encouraging in terms of wanting to prep for this 24 hour race. Um, and I think all the factors like being able to fuel consistently and just being able to move at a manageable pace um, and feel like I could sustain that. Um, got me even more excited to try it and then there are elements like okay yeah that was a long time on feet like you do get tired um who knows what happens you know past the seven hour mark there's all these unknowns that like it's not like i'm going to go out and run 24 hours in training so there mm -hmm. will be things that i can't address until the day comes but i think overall it made me like that much more excited um nice. and i also am i'm very fortunate in that um a couple of my friends who are running the tahoe beast so um ashley heller and her friend amber nelson they're running uh the beast in tahoe and they just like volunteered to crew me i didn't even have to ask so like it's just really cool to feel um supported like that and have people who are so excited and uh excited for you and your goals um and that element of crewing last year for raya was like the most special thing being a part of that and that's what made me want to do this race so um yeah i think it just like lit the fire a little bit more people are definitely excited for you oh <laughs> yeah sure. I'm, I'm pumped um it's gonna be something completely different but um hope i can only hope for a day like i had in utah that's for sure yeah like i said i told you when i was following the results for utah i was like oh she's doing great and i was like oh no she's falling yeah, apart yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she just like weren't in the results all of a sudden I was like, I well, maybe the ultra distance didn't go that well. And then I saw a right. clip. I think it was Faye Morgan tossed yes. one up where you finished second overall. I was like, oh, my God, that's even better I, than I thought it could have gone. I know. Mm -hmm. I, I had no um, no expectation for that. Um, and my, my so my my dad is someone like he's the first text I get when I open my phone after a race. He's always following. And um, I think this was the most nervous my parents have ever been <laughs> for me. I think they were just genuinely scared. Um, and this was the first time my brother ever texted me good luck before a race. And I think it's because they were so nervous that he was getting hers. I don't know. But um, anyway, my dad said the same thing you did. He was like, uh, we have no idea where you are. The results say you drop back. Just let us know you're okay. Um, so it, it was uh, it was fun to let him know that it went better than expected. That was probably such a relief <laughs> for them. They're like, oh my, oh my one? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, and it was it was also super special crossing the line um chris mendoza was waiting so i finished about a half hour back from him and he absolutely crushed it um and it, we're, we're really good friends and we hang out a lot here in colorado and he's 
one of the nicest people I know and a really talented guy. And um, <laughs> I crossed the line. He's just like, you're the next one to come through. Just like big hug. It was a really cool finish That's line cool. moment. Yeah. Um, so he was just as stoked for me as I was for myself, which was like really special. So what do you do now to prep for, uh, I mean, would we have like nine weeks or so? <sighs> what is it? So, t- uh, yes, roughly like a little over nine. I think it's between 10 ish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So what do you do in these 10 weeks? Like obviously recovery is a big part for probably this week, next week, maybe even, mm-hmm. um, but what do you think you're going to need just more of the same or what are you thinking? Yeah. Um, so my coach Ian follows a pretty regimented structure that, and I think we've talked about this when we talked about high rocks, it doesn't change too much. We kind of just tinker with what elements are emphasized in the training versus not. So um, I do think the, the really long run, prep that I did that one like practice test before this race was super helpful. So um, ideally I'd like to get another one of those, another one or like a couple of those in before. How Tahoe. long was that again? Um, How long was your prep? Uh, it ended up being seven hours and like 8,000 feet of oh, gain. Wow. So okay. it was like exactly what I needed. And I right didn't on. know that it would be like that. Um, it was, it was perfect. Um, and that actually wasn't going to be part of the plan. It was more just because it was my birthday and I wanted to run the 26 miles for turning 26 or whatever. Um, but I think I would like to get something like that in, or um, I am looking to go to Kelowna. I just don't know if I'll race mm. the North American Championship Beast or do the ultra there. Well, they have an so ultra. they do. Um, and it's a beautiful venue. And I, I feel like a month out, that could be a good um, kind of last big thing besides maybe like a a regular long run in the next week or so and then be tapering um but it is relatively i think going to be more of the same um just continuing to progress long run volume and just aerobic volume with like maybe some bike doubles Mm. um keep up with the leg strength i think i actually put in a little bit of a block of um heavy deadlifts and heavier like bulgarian split squats and stuff and i think um strength wise like my my legs have never felt better climbing and descending so I definitely want to keep that in and keep progressing that. Um, but nothing too crazy. Ian's Ian's not um, Ian's on the conservative end when it comes to like long efforts. So um, it's not like I'm going to be going out and doing like 30 mile runs every weekend. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, I guess you'll have to see how you're feeling. Maybe not this week or next week, or like in like three weeks or so to, mm-hmm. to have that call for Kelowna, you know? Yeah. Exactly. If it's, if it's if it lingers longer than you think, then know, probably then not. Yeah. not. Yeah. Exactly. And it's. I mean, I. I don't think the ultra and Kelowna is going to be necessary. I think it would be great if I could do it and it was a good day. But um, I got the learning experience or a lot of the learning that I needed from this Utah ultra to at least feel like I know a little bit more about what I'm getting into. Um, so I it's more a focus on like trying to, to build, get fitter and also just stay feeling good and, and strong. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to be like pushing in and trying to squeeze stuff in only to come Tahoe. I'm exhausted and not feeling ready and Mm -hmm. just uh, like body's not cooperating. So definitely want to be a little more on the conservative end when it comes to that. That was one thing uh, Mark had also in Torque, he mentioned one time, he's like, it's way better to be, completely healthy and underprepared totally. than just over like then burnt out or like a Absolutely. little injured. And like burnt out, especially because um, there were a couple people who 
were in the race this weekend that um, have done ultras before and have done really well, but they just mm -hmm. mentally were not in it and they acknowledge that. And um, I'm pretty sure they'd be uh, okay with me sharing their names because they posted about it already. But so Sierra Slider and Nicole McManus are good friends of mine. They were, they were in the, um, the race on Saturday and they both kind of were just at places where they didn't feel the mental drive to like do the whole thing. And they've, they've both done a, a many more ultras than I have. And they've kind of been through it all. And um, they acknowledge the idea that, yeah, the stoke wasn't there. So it's like really hard to push through an event like this when the stoke isn't there. Like no. there's so much. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. So um, they, and they were like, so thrilled for me it was amazing that they're just great people but they their comment was like it was amazing to see you so happy out there like i and it, i really was i was just like literally airplane arming it down the down the descents um because it was just a blast and i think that uh coming into tahoe i want to feel the same way i want to feel excited mm. and ready and like embracing that challenge as opposed to like oh boy i have to go do this again or like you know so i think that's going to be a really important factor mm -hmm. who ended up getting second it was Jill Griffiths. She, um, she's been racing some of the series races. She lives in Utah. Um, she's a really good athlete. And it was funny cause, um, she, I think there was probably less than a 10 minute gap when we got to the top of the ultra loop. Cause I saw her, the way they did it is they had us run up and then run down the same way for the ultra loop. So we could mm -hmm. see where everyone was. Mm -hmm. And at that point I was like, Oh, I kind of don't like how small this gap is. <laughs> like she made me a little nervous. Um, so, she it, it spread out later and i think she started cramping and everything but uh -huh. um i know she did well at utah last i think she beat me at utah last year like in I, the series race yeah i think oh. so so i heard she was going and i was like oh shoot like <laughs> i don't know what's gonna happen here and uh kelly glenn she was fourth i think at world's toughest last yeah year. yeah and she um she crushed it in third she, she there, um right? She, I know she did New Jersey. Um, oh, did she New Jersey too? Yeah, and she didn't. She didn't get on the podium there, but she was saying that she hadn't had the time to like um, put in as much prep as she wanted that she did for Utah, and I feel like the prep really showed because she was she was doing really great. Was World's Toughest the thing that you would consider? I mean, we got to do one twenty four hour race. Right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, honestly, I've thought about it a little bit. Um, I don't think I'd do the double especially like in my first year of doing yeah. this i don't think it would be smart to do tahoe and then try to do world toughest um i've never done a tough mutter event um no. no and it would be different the venues don't excite me that's the thing um like florida vegas i i'm much less excited about that than a tahoe or a utah or right. um even uh like telluride i was like praying it would be back in telluride but um <laughs> it's, it's not this year that's okay um but I don't think it would take much persuading if Tahoe <laughs> went okay, just because the obstacles look really fun. The, yeah. the vibe is really cool. And there's a lot of people that I know and love who do those and have a blast. So, I mean, I'm, I'm open to anything. It's more just like whether or not it's going to be fun. And we don't know what the format's going to be like yet for Tahoe. Oh, uh, so I heard is some it... rumors. Um, okay. This is completely unverified. So. Let's, let's speculate. <laughs> okay. So uh, I think, so in Telluride last year, they did the full beast loop and mm -hmm. then it was seven mile loops after that. Okay. Um, right. I heard that this year for Tahoe, it might be the full beast loop and then um, a 15 K loop. So roughly nine miles each time. And I'm not sure what the pr thought process behind that is, but one person, um, I, I think it was actually Max who was saying 
that would allow us to literally do the big climb each time um if yeah, we did that nine, so yeah so um i think maybe that's why they're doing it that way if they do end up doing it um as far as like water elements i don't know i kind of hope they have the swim um i i would like that that's on that big climb it's top of the big climb yeah i know and i love the swim element of tahoe i think it's so fun um i don't think they've <laughs> had water in a 24-hour race for spartan not for spartan i don't think so they didn't in telluride last year but there was no water on the mountain um right. maybe it's possible they'll do like we start at 10 a.m on sunday i think so maybe they'll have us just do it in the beast loop and then that's it um, they didn't do the swim last year in right? tahoe in tahoe for the North i don't think they did years. no I don't think um so, so yeah so that was, like uh, was right after the, the fires and everything there was that yes. massive fire that was right there right um, yeah optics aren't great for that yeah um, so that was the one thing I heard about the format is probably the beast loop and then like nine ish mile loops each time, which is kind of like a considerable, um, length, like the, like seven miles in Telluride, um, seems like an appropriate amount, like not enough to like really worry about what you're taking out there. Mm -hmm. Like you can, You'll be back you can enough. get by. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the, the extra, extra couple miles changes it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Uh, what's well, going to be fun. Um, Again, super pumped for you. I'm so glad that it, that it went so well and that you're, you were right in your assessment <laughs> of how well you'd be able Thanks. to continue to kind of move up. So yeah. maybe Kelowna, will you do the beast? If not, are you going either way? Yeah, the plan is to go either way. It's more about making the decision about what I'm feeling. Um, before then is the uh, New England super and sprint, fun little one in uh, New Hampshire, but right. I'm hoping to go home to Cape Cod, visit family. And my brother and dad might do their first race there. Whoa, so I'm very sweet. excited. Yeah. Um, I that's think my dad did and we're trying to convince my brother. That's a flat one too. It's not, it's unfortunately not like in the mountains or anything. Exactly. It's a really good, I did it last year and it's a very good beginner race, I would say. So that's why I was like, you guys got to try it now. And um, I think it's working. So yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. Cool, Kelly. Well, we'll make sure to follow that progress. Um, link to your socials and everything. So we'll see you awesome. maybe in New Hampshire, definitely Kelowna, but definitely at Tahoe end of yes. September. Fingers crossed. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we'll Thanks, talk to you Rich. soon. Awesome.